Before we start, this episode contains a bit of chat that might be triggering for some listeners. If you feel that might apply to you, you can check the show notes for more details. Hello and a massive big juicy welcome to Happy Place, a space where we can all work through our weird stuff together. God, I love working through weird stuff. I've got so much weird stuff to work through. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm catching up with one of my oldest and dearest friends, Jake Humphrey. You never arrive. It doesn't happen. And actually, you can look at that and go, oh, what? That, that moment where you feel you've achieved everything and you've, you've done it, that, doesn't, that never comes. That's depressing. It is not. It's the absolute opposite of depressing. It will come as no surprise that as a TV presenter, Jake is particularly brilliant at communicating. And I learned during this chat just how far that extends into his own family life too. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Right, should we do the show? Here it is. Jake. This is all a bit strange. This is so cool. We've, we've been wanting to do this for a long time, so I'm, I'm so glad that, that we managed to make it happen. Um, I feel a bit nervous, actually. It, Honestly. What? I know. Like, but do you know why? It's the total opposite of why you'd think. Because you're one of my oldest and best friends, it makes me want to not do a crap interview <laughs> for, you, <laughs> for you. Normally, when I, I chat to people, I'm like, listen, you get what you get. If you like it, yeah. But because it's you, I'm like, oh, I really want her to say, oh, I'm glad Jake came on my podcast. I know, but I will anyway. But I know what you mean, because I, I think whenever I've interviewed people that I know on Happy Place before, it is a slightly different dynamic. Yeah. And what I don't want to do is be too relaxed, because when I get too relaxed, I think that's when I'm not focused enough and I, and I miss really cool, juicy bits. So I'm going to try and also tread that balance of being very comfy and relax so we have a genuine conversation, yet staying alert. Right, I'll look out for so that now. that's where I'm at. Which means it won't be at all like that. <laughs> so before we all met at CBBC, you were doing local TV. I've seen the video footage because you showed me on VHS at your house. I, when I had a strong Norfolk accent. I don't know where that went, by the way. Hello. We've got to dig it out. I'm Jake. <laughs> So what what was the dream at that point? What was your your goal? Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know what it's a really interesting question because I know that I was a late developer and you know the story that I have of failing my A levels, getting an E an N and a U at school, um, and then kind of falling into working for a local TV company. But when I now talk to friends that I went to school with, they say, "Oh yeah, no, you always said you wanted to work in telly. We always thought you were going to be on the telly." But I don't see I don't see any of that because I was the most normal bloke at the school I didn't I wasn't in any well I was in I played one game for the school football team and my dad was so proud he went out especially on his lunch break and bought me a pair of black shorts which I had to wear and I wore them once and I think I played for about five minutes I mean you know like I'm basically rubbish at most stuff 
So I didn't play football for the school team. I did no amateur dramatics. I did no art. I didn't excel. I was like the grey man. I just existed and moved around. And it wasn't a particularly fulfilling experience. It wasn't horrendous. There was a, you know, a lot of kids bullying issues here and there. But there was n- the kind of person I am now and the mindset I have now, well, just I know it wasn't there. And I don't really know where it came from. I just floated through and got lucky, basically, I think. I mean, I feel similar in a sense. Like, I, you know, I wanted to be an, an actor or something and I ended up... But I think you were really doing something film, I love. Right? I, I was, I was to some extent, but I don't know in what direction. And I think, you know, the, the, we've been on a similar path in the sense that we've been open to change, I think. And we've, yeah. and we've incrementally chosen to follow our gut. Like, definitely took me a very long time to get to that place. But we're both now doing things we really, really love doing and things that that make our hearts sing and mm. it's nice that we've kind of we've we've walked down that path together it's really lovely I want to get onto your podcast in a minute but I want to just say something because you you a little thought sprung into my head when you mentioned yeah. your dad and I remember at your wedding the day after your wedding actually we all congregated at your parents house and we were all sat on the lawn in the garden yeah having a barbecue, really lovely day. And your dad did this beautiful sort of post-wedding speech and he mentioned this family motto that has always stuck in my head and I'd never heard it before that moment. And it's, well, it might, I might be saying it wrong, but in my memory, it's roots and wings. Is that yeah, right? You've, yeah, you've got it absolutely right. So roots him, yeah. and wings. And then he went along, he went on to describe that. What, what has that family motto meant to you? And because to me, you've absolutely done what it says mm. on the tin. And you've yeah. really followed that. So, so talk to me about that family motto and what it's meant to you. So Roots and Wings is absolute, And it's so interesting that you go there straight away because Roots and Wings is at the absolute centre of everything that has happened for me. And when you say, like, how did this all come about and what were you like when you were younger? I think I've only literally having this conversation with you, I think I might have found the answer, right? You know when people say, oh, we always thought this would happen for you and we always thought you were going to do well. I didn't, right? because I hadn't found the thing that I was passionate about. And I didn't even realise when I landed a job in television that I'd found the thing I'm passionate about. I just thought I was doing what I'd always done. But for some reason, I couldn't quite work it out. Like, why am I trying harder? Why am I working harder? Why am I grafting? Why am I desperate to improve every single day at this? And only now at 42, talking to you on this podcast, I'm thinking, hold on, of course, it's obvious what happened. Without knowing it, I found my passion and my passion was, was broadcasting. That's what it was. But at the centre of that passion, and like it was quite a big life change for me, Fern. You know you've been to my mum and dad's house. It's a tiny house in a little village in a sleepy county of Norfolk. And suddenly there I was working on television. And that was when the roots and wings became absolutely vital. So for people that have never heard the phrase before, it's really something that you pass down to your kids and my parents pass to me and we now pass on to Sebastian and Florence. And it is the, the two things you need most in this life it's the roots so I have a similar one I say to my kids it makes me tear a bit when I say it every night before we go to bed I kiss them and say hey there'll always be a light on and it means no matter where you are what you're doing how bad stuff is there's always a light on and we have a, a light at the front of our house and it's on permanently and I always point it out and say listen don't forget that light is always on mm. they'll always find their way home basically um, I love that and Roots and Wings is where that really comes from. So it's the roots to know that whatever is going on, and we've all had this conversation with our kids, it's like, this is non-judgmental, this house. This is like, 
you're my kids. I literally can't not love you. So whatever it is, it does not matter. You've got the roots here. This is the place for you to come back to. And I hope they always understand that no matter how difficult things get, this is the place for them. But at the same time, hey, guess what, kids? Here are your wings. Like me and your mum, we want to see you fly. And I've seen enough parenting and I know enough people who've been given the roots without the wings and I think it can be really really debilitating where people they feel so connected to where they are that they don't have the ability to realize that getting those wings out and flying off doesn't mean you're leaving the place where you've always been and where you're really safe it's the total opposite it means you can fly higher and faster and further because you can always come back there and roots and wings is a family motto which I have passed on to my kids and I really hope that they pass on to theirs because I just feel that it is everything. It Honestly, it is. And it's something that I have thought about a lot since I heard your your dad say that. And I wonder if there are ever moments in your perhaps teen years or early 20s where you wanted to rebel against that because often we that is the inclination is to go right my parents are saying this I'm going to do the absolute opposite like I know for a fact perhaps in my 20s more so than my teens I had this real urge to really like spread my wings fly try and run away from everything that I knew because I was just experimenting and searching and curious about life and I kind of would forget about the root bit sometimes. Mm. Did you ever have have that desire to just do a bit of a runner or ignore that advice? Not once. Wow. Not once. Um, and I actually like, I credit the fact I was a late developer firm with that. Like, I don't think you were a late developer. I look at you doing TV at like, how old are you, like 14 or something? 15, yeah. 15 and you're on the television. Like, I wasn't even snogging girls till I was about 17. I was such a late developer. I just existed right in this happy place of living in a village, doing a paper round, going to school, muddling through, going home, watching a bit of telly, eating dinner with my family and going up to my bedroom. It was provincial. It was quiet. It was safe. It was fine, right? But I wasn't, like, pushing the boundaries in any, in any respect. And I think it was only really when... Sometimes they say you have to get to the bottom to rise back up. I just thought life was going to always be like that. It was always going to be a nice, simple, float through, happy, happy. And then I had that really difficult period where my uh, I lost my grandma, my dad's mum. Sadly, with she committed suicide just as I was doing my A-level exams. And I think at the time, again, being a bit of a late developer and being a bit naive, I kind of think it didn't affect me. But then I think maybe it actually did have a really fundamental impact on me. And it wasn't in long what after way? that. In what um, way? How, how did you process that and apply that to how you then viewed your life? Obviously, it had a huge impact on my dad, like for a long time, for like not weeks or months, but probably years. He was a quieter, um, he was more of a shell of a man than the guy that had left for work that morning before he got the call. And, and I think that we sort of put all of our energy and focus into him. And things just, I don't know really, fun because I... I have an absolute flashbulb memory of us sitting around the dinner table and my mum had made cheese and potato pie, which is like a classic out in the countryside. Loads of mashed potatoes, stick some cheese on the top, put it in the grill, easy. Lovely. And this is, this is in the days before mobile phones. And my dad was a charity worker and we were just waiting for him to come home from his job at Age Concern Norfolk. And we waited and waited and we delayed dinner and we delayed it a bit more. And then we sat around the table and I remember we were eating and my mum was just like, 
where is your dad? I have no idea. And it transpired that he'd had the call from his brother who lived near his mum. She'd left a note. She'd gone missing. And he had sadly arrived as they as they were finding her body. And that was about probably about an hour, hour and a half away from where we lived. So then he had to drive home. And he comes in the kitchen and sort of says, I've got some really bad news about mum. And I think my mum said something like, is she in hospital? And my dad just said, no, she's she's dead. And the the hard thing to process as a young person is that, like, grannies don't kill themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got your grandkids and your son and everything. But she was the carer, mainly, for my granddad, who was disabled. So I think when he died, that took that basically took her purpose away. And that was it. That was it. That was enough for her. Um, but it's a very difficult thing to deal with when it's someone that you really really love and they choose to no longer be around and that's my only experience of suicide and it sometimes it feels harsh to talk about it like that doesn't it because you it's about them and they were she was obviously incredibly sad to do that but you are left with this feeling of what were we not enough like she had five grandkids and my dad and and his brother it's like it's a, but you, you can't, um, you can't compare a happy mind to an unhappy one. I think sometimes, and I think the reality is she was so unhappy that 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 dominated everything else. And and it wasn't long after that that I did fail my A levels, and that was then the end of a really difficult time for me. Um, and I think I was, I was, I was knocked by little things in those days. I got fired right from McDonald's. You might know this already for. They, they, what they said was a lack of communication skills, right? Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, this is so brilliant. Serious, man. It's serious. And, and again, I didn't notice it having this effect on me. Yeah. But then my boss, I then got a job as a waiter. And my, and a few years later, I saw my boss and he said, are you still worrying all the time about being fired? I said, sorry, what do you mean? He goes, oh my goodness, you were in my office like every week saying, I just need to check I'm not going to get fired. Are you definitely not going to fire me? Like, But I don't, remember I, I don't remember that that feeling it's almost like it just kind of I was so blasé about life I had these little anxieties these highs and lows and stuff but they kind of came and went and I just moved on to the next thing but so, it's interesting how when you experience any level of trauma and and something so close to home like that and and you've got shock in the mix there mm. and also this you know, unexplained element of of that shock. You not be able to really comprehend why somebody might do that. Yeah. You know that it manifests in in so many different ways because fundamentally you, you're left sort of feeling unstable or unsafe because yeah. something's rocked you like that, and it will of course manifest it in all different ways. Do you think that you know on a on a subconscious level for you, your dad, your family? Because I think you know. Back in that era, nobody really talked about mental health. It, it wasn't really a, a thing. It would be, mm. you know, you'd be the anomaly to sort of have that kind of open conversation. Do you think because of of what happened to your nan that that kind of opened your mind or your dad's to to sort of look into that more so and and, and look into that kind of mental health side of what was going on with with you all? I think it's interesting because I think my dad and me are very similar. So. I had a few issues when I was when I was being bullied at school, which is not unbelievable. It happens to lots of people. But interestingly, yeah. the teachers used to say, I think it's because your son is quite sensitive. Like, he's not a laddie lad. And we can talk a bit later about how I've ended up in this quite laddish world of 
football and before that Formula One and live sport and stuff. But I was never the the lads lad. I was always the sort of one that wanted to look after the unhappy person or just keeping my eyes peeled for any issues that other people might have. And my dad, I think, is quite similar. So I think we were always quite plugged into that side of things. And then that in itself leaves you with an element of frustration, though, because you think, were we plugged enough into each other's emotions as a family? Like, I still question now whether I should ring my brother and sister more often. I've got four or five nieces and nephews. I should. Why am I not ringing them more often? Because we've seen as a family that even someone who knows they are loved can still do that. We like it's such an important thing I think and I, it was only a couple of days ago that I was thinking I want to be the uncle who my nieces and nephews come to for a conversation when times are tough but I can't just expect them to do that when they're 18 years old like I've got Joseph who's 11 uh, 12 Tilly who's 9 or 10 and I've got f- my daughter Florence is the same age as her two cousins Edward and Francis they're born at the same time then little Gabriel who's 3 I can't expect at 18, in a decade or so, they will just automatically pick up the phone to Uncle Jake and say, oh, you're, you're quite cool, I'll have a chat with you. I feel like I need to sow those seeds of communication with them now so that right from a young age they go, he's always the guy that is there with, a, with an open ear. And I think that's probably a good lesson for all of us. It's like, don't just don't expect this stuff to work. And people get to their kids are 18, they go, why don't they talk to me? Well... Did you talk to them when they were five about how they're feeling emotionally? And Florence has your fantastic mood journal. And it's, you know, what a real lesson for us, Fern, because I feel I have a great relationship with my daughter. Your mood journal has got us talking about things that we have never conversed about bedtime. In fact, I've recorded a video to send you the other day. She was talking. I wonder if I can find it. And she was chatting away, like, about her feelings and and what was going on. She drew a little picture. Um, Oh, I'm so happy to hear that um, because I know it's, you know, that side of parenting is really not easy. And I even find it hard with Rex, who's the same age as Florence. You know, he'll dip in and out of using that mood journal. But I I do have to kind of, you know, put it in front of him and say, look, let's have a look through it. He's he's my my son is a real like character. He can be a bit of a rebel and he often wants to do the opposite of what I'm saying. But I'm so glad that that that's open up some conversations she sent me such a cute thank you letter which um well, what really you don't want to be so adorable. you don't want to be the expert that doesn't do it do you know what i mean by that yeah 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 the well, one that totally. talks I mean, a good game let, let me but, but this is this is, is listen oh, you found about it um this one i wrote down um when it said it's when when you lost when you when was the last time you felt really happy? I was at Ellie's tea party with with our head teacher and I got chocolate cake while in the caterpillar cake. I ate a bit of it. It made me it made me happy. And then I coloured in a cup. Did she colour in a cup to show that she was full of happiness? Like I mean who doesn't love a calling the caterpillar cake? That's right. enough to make anyone happy. But do you know what? Like I, we have, we're so like connected. I didn't know about that, and how? What a great little opportunity there, just to have that conversation at the end of the day. I think it's brilliant. So well done. Well, I'm for that. so I'm so glad, and 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 thank you so much for saying that. That's that's so so adorable of you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'd love to, to talk more about where you've ended up now and with your childhood in mind and the experiences that you've been through, because I think you're doing something rather extraordinary. So, you know, you followed your gut and you've ended up working in, in the sports world and impeccably so, you know, you know, I'm no football fan, but I will, it was always on in our house because of Jesse and Rex and Arthur. Great. And you're just so slick and you're so good at what you do. But I know that behind the scenes, there's a whole underbelly of, of what you're doing and how you're approaching this role. And I, I spoke to Gareth Southgate a little about this subject in the last series, that football, of course, can be this beautifully unifying experience for everybody, whether that's with your team or when, the, or when England are playing on, on a national level. And, and that brings such sort of spirit and joy to a lot of people. But there's this other flip side to it, which is you know, can be really nasty, whether that's coming from the press or the fans, you know, either at home watching on the TV or or at the actual pitch itself pre-covid and and I know that that's not sat well with you and I'd I'd love you to talk more about that and how because you've almost taken on you you seem you've always seemed to me as someone that that takes on that big responsibility like you were saying there you want to be the uncle that's there and available mm. for people you want to be the parent that's accessible and can, and, and you want to, you know, really be there for your kids on that level. And now you've taken on this huge responsibility of trying to cultivate a more fair and balanced approach to, to watching sport. I mean, it's a huge undertaking. How do you plan to do that? And what is that, that real, like, fire in your belly that's making you want to do this? So... Football is a really difficult one because people are really emotionally connected to what they're watching, right? And you have to sort of accept that at the very beginning. It was a real eye-opener to me when I moved from Formula One, where if you like Formula One, you kind of like it and you're glad it's on the telly, to football, where if Man U are playing Arsenal, everyone, pretty much everyone watching that is really emotionally invested, either as an Arsenal fan or as a Man United fan. And so any question you ask, any opinion you have, any throwaway comment, they are not looking at it through the lens of normal life. They're looking at it through the lens of football. Are you biased against my team? Do you not like my manager? Are you um, are you being unfair to, to the team that I support? Are you being biased against us or biased in favour of the opposition? That is the lens at which people look at football through. And so I, I'm really keen to sort of explore, while I'm hosting football, a, a totally different way of looking at it. And I sometimes see just hundreds and hundreds of people howling at the moon they're like werewolves they're so out of date in their opinion that you have to sort of bash heads with people to to have an impact in this world and you don't and that's where really where the high performance podcast was born from in that I really want football fans to understand that all of the people out there are doing their best all the people out there have issues and concerns pretty much you know we had a conversation that will be on our podcast soon with Tyra Mings the England player Tyrone talks on our pod about speaking to a psychologist before every single game. 
Wow. I, and I think that's a really brave admission from a current England international because I think a few years ago, and in some areas of the game, maybe even today, that would be seen as a weakness that he needs to speak to a psychologist mm. before playing a game of football. I guarantee you there'll be people that will look at that and go, has he, has he got what it takes to be a professional footballer? The fact he does that shows he absolutely has got what it takes yeah. to be a professional footballer because he is coming at it from, a, from this growth mindset perspective. And that's really what the High Performance Podcast is all about. It is saying everyone, no matter who they are and what they've achieved... They have issues and foibles and anxieties and insecurities. But what's different between them and the people that are not where they are is that nine times out of ten, they found a way to push past them. And that is, Mm. if you were to break down the podcast to being one fundamental, it's a difficult one to to grasp necessarily, but it is 100% responsibility. So on the pod, we talk about taking 100% responsibility for every single thing in your life. And that is like 100% responsibility for the things that you are in control of and that are your fault, but also 100% responsibility for the stuff that isn't your fault. Just because it's not your fault doesn't mean it isn't your responsibility. Breaking up with a partner, um, a difficult relationship with your parents, an illness that's come your way, none of those things are your fault. I'm afraid to say they're still your responsibility to find a path through. Because if you spend your life going, oh, well, I lost my job. Oh, I had a difficult relationship with my dad. Oh, I don't really see my kids very much. Oh, I've got this bad back. I can't do anything. If you spend your life with that mindset, then you're giving up the responsibility. You're looking for blame. You're looking for fault. And that is just giving up control. Do you think that responsibility means that you always have to fix that situation? Because if I'm thinking about my own life, I know that sometimes... You know, I, I often will take on too much responsibility and I, I'll think that everything's my fault because I can be quite tough yeah. on myself. But I think more recently I found a way of taking on responsibility for things that have felt tricky or things that have gone awry. But rather than try and fix them, the, the, the sort of responsibility part has actually led to, to acceptance and a peace Correct. within that without doing much at all. Yeah. Look, when we first started the podcast, I will be totally honest, okay? The conversations I was looking forward to having were the ones where people were like, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I push myself to the limit and I never see my kids get put to bed and I'm struggling and I fail often and I fail again and I fail again and I fail forwards and I'm striving and I'm clawing for the inch and I'm desperate for success and it hurts when it doesn't come my way. I thought that was the conversation we needed to have, right? The eye-opener for me was the interview with Johnny Wilkinson. where oh, I he, loved that one. He said, didn't he, that when he wrote a book about the struggles he went through at the Rugby World Cup when he was put on a pedestal as the hero of our nation, his words were, I, I would expect that book to have created a spike in mental health cases from the readers. Bearing in mind the readers were probably impressionable, young, 16, 17-year-old male wannabe Johnny Wilkinsons, right? Explain more, we asked him. And he said he thought that struggling and striving and failing would lead to greatness. But struggling and failing and the pain and the anguish leads to more pain, more mm. anguish, more struggling, more failing. So when I first started the pod, I believed people had to be relentless, re- absolutely relentless in their work ethic, right? 
Then when I started speaking to people, consistency became a really common conversation and a really common trait in the high performance individuals that we speak to. So then my brain went to, right, if I'm going to achieve all the things I want Jake Comfrey to achieve by the time he's done and dusted and he's a husk of a man sitting in a chair somewhere, (laughs) he needs to be consistently relentless. Not relentless on a Monday and a Friday and a Sunday afternoon, but relentless Monday to Sunday. But then, of course, that then... leads to the mental health burnout of being yeah. relentless consistently relentless yeah. who can be consistently relentless so now I've tried that one it doesn't work I have too it definitely doesn't so now it is consistently happily relentless and what Explain that means that. so go what, on what that means is I am now consistently relentless but I'm consistently relentless with things that make me happy so it doesn't mean I have to be consistently relentlessly in the office till 11 o'clock at night because if it makes me happier to go and sit and watch The Crown with Harriet well I will consistently relentlessly make sure I go and sit with her if, <laughs> yeah. if going out in the garden with Sebastian after school makes me happier than being at work in London well I will consistently and relentlessly focus on being with him where he needs to be now I'm not saying that you you solely do the stuff that makes you happy a way so you don't then achieve anything in terms of having to pay your mortgage and feed your kids and things so I'm, I imagine people going well you can't just hang out with your kids all day what, what are you going to do right so then it comes down to you have got you absolutely like if there's one thing that I want the people listening to this to take away from this conversation you've got to find your passion you've got to discover what it is and it is not easy right because passion without any hard work is just passion you're like, I'm really passionate about something that I put no effort into. Great, well done. Hard work without passion is just hard work. Yeah, It doesn't lead to any joy or happiness. So finding the passion is the key, basically, Fern, that unlocks all of this stuff. So guess what? I'm really passionate about being a dad. So I see my kids as often as possible. So my one of my non, non-negotiables, we talk about those on the pod, one of my non-negotiables is it does not matter what time I finish work or what part of the country I'm in, I'm home. So if I get home at three in the morning, I'm up for the school run. I might then go back to bed, fine. But that is one of my non-negotiables because the kids are at the absolute centre of things. So that's one of the ones that, that I live by. It's really important to find your areas of passion i'm passionate about broadcasting passionate about the podcast passionate about making tv passionate about the kids passionate about old buildings passionate about being in the garden and i relentlessly pursue those passions so it's getting it's getting a lovely balance and that equilibrium and it's yeah it's and and that helps you find that sweet spot and like you say there's got to be that balance of hard work and the passion there because there's something that i this is a really new curiosity for me within the last few weeks and that is and it relates heavily to high performance because I think that within the last I don't know how many years certainly since I've been an adult but maybe the last 10 years the expectations that teenagers specifically have put upon them on a societal level what they're just imbibing daily that's coming at them whether they like it or not whether that be via their phones social media their friends and a lot to do with schooling as well it just seems really off balance and I've been talking to a lot of my friends recently whose teenagers are having such a tough time because they feel this omnipresent pressure that they've got to excel at everything so they're getting 98% in tests and they're worrying about the 2% 
And, you know, when I was a kid, I don't think that sort of culture existed. There were always the kids, like, in our group of six friends who are still my best mates, one of us, Hayley, was always straight A's, getting A stars, good at everything, art, math, science, English, and, and the rest of us kind of weren't. But we were like, oh, well, we, we none of us felt in competition with each other all that bothered about it we kind of thought we'll find our way we'll we'll work out a way but there seems so many outlets of information and so much pressure that I think teens at the moment are suffering more than ever and I just want to cultivate more conversation around I don't know whether it's celebrating the average and just finding happiness in that you know what how much do you value high performance, I guess? Do you think it is the be-all and end-all? Do you think you can be happy without excelling at something all the time? Yeah, I do. And Eddie Jones, England rugby coach, came on. And he, you know, to give you an idea of his day, Fern, he goes to work at five o'clock in the morning. He then works in his office till six o'clock in the morning. And then he goes into the gym from six till seven. And that's when he has all of his big, bright ideas for the day. And then he has his breakfast between seven and eight. And he says to us that that's his day's work done. By eight o'clock, his day's work is done. Then he goes and works with the players, the England rugby players. And that is that is all extra stuff, really. But he's done his main focus at that time in the day. And I said to him that he, he, had, a, he had a stroke. And he says he's eased off. And this is how he now works. And I said, that feels to me so full on, Eddie. And he said, look, it's not for everyone. And I think we have to accept that that relentless pursuit of success it is not for everyone. And we have to try and create a society where we're judged on different things. I mean, I have a real concern that we could talk a lot about parenting because we're both parents and you can do everything that you want to as a parent, everything that you can do. But as soon as your kid picks up social media, you're effectively out of control of what goes mm. on. Um, and I think that now we talk a lot about, let's all go to the gym, let's all eat healthy food, let's all eat less meat. Well, guess what? Every time you look on social media and you follow accounts that are not good for you, that's effectively junk food for the brain. And I don't think yeah. enough thought goes into what is the diet that I'm giving my brain. And I think that is a, that is a root for a lot of these issues. And it, it effectively, for me, it comes down to comparison. You know, there's that famous quote, isn't there? Comparison is the thief of joy. Yes, compare and despair. It's horrendous. And I think that we have to try and get away from this looking at other people and seeing where they're at and working out whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for us. Well, it's rarely true anyway when we see a marker of success elsewhere. We don't really know what's going on. And I think that's the distinction that always needs to be made that, you know, you can have someone like Johnny Wilkinson or someone yeah. who is absolutely perfect in that moment because a lot of the time, specifically in the sports world, perfection is integral to get on the podium, to get the gold medal, to win the race. Like I've talked to Jessica Hill-Ennis about this on a yeah. previous podcast. You, you have to have perfection to win. And that is an equation that we know works, but the equation that we muddle that with and conflate it with is that that perfection and that win equals happiness, self-fulfillment, um, contentment, self-esteem. We know that that doesn't work, but we yeah. just get it all in a muddle. Yeah, yeah, and outside yeah. of the sports world, it's the same. We'll see people reaching these huge goals or finding you know, massive success and, a, and a, you know, acclaim with people screaming their names. But inside, we don't know what's going on. And I just mm. think that's the conversation that we need to be having more is that, yes, you can be perfect and you can exceed and, you know, and, and excel and you can um, succeed and have all this wonderful adulation or whatever. 
but but what does that is that what you really want is that what's going to make you feel happy and and I even get confused with that one sometimes and push myself way too hard and and burn out and I'm not happy so I think it is you know it's maybe a little easier for us to say it at this age whereas for teens I just think the expectations are so high the information is so confusing and a lot of teens are ending up feeling quite flat I don't know what the answer is. It's so difficult, it's isn't it? Because me. I, because I want people to excel. I want people to be brilliant. I want them to fly and to have that great life. And I guess maybe again, it just comes back to instead of helping people to be brilliant, right? Help them to find the thing they love, and they will then naturally take themselves to they a place will be brilliant. Yeah. where they're brilliant because they found a thing that they're passionate about. And I think all too often people are going down a road where they feel like mum and dad might want me to do this or my friends at school are doing this. You know, that's when it gets really sort of dangerous. I think it's opening people's eyes to what is what is for them, what's their thing. If you can find yeah. an answer to that, I honestly feel that the root of everything comes from that because if it makes you happy, it doesn't matter how you compare to other people. It yeah, and that's, that's relevant to any age group because... I don't know how you feel about this personally, but I've only really fallen into what really fires me up on a daily basis. I'm excited to get out of bed and I know that I'm very lucky to have that feeling about the work that I do. I tell but you, I've only had that in the last four years. You know, and right. I don't want to sound ungrateful for the stuff I did previously, but yeah. this is another level of like, I feel so lucky that I am doing this work. And I didn't know what my passion was and I didn't know it, it sat in this sort of arena of talking about mental health or however you want to label it, just talking yeah. about life. You know, that makes me excited every day. So I think this conversation isn't exclusive to teenagers. This is for anybody. Absolutely. And it's, and it's maybe just about having some mental clarity or space, however you might find that, to work out what that is rather than what everybody yeah. else is doing. And shall I tell you, for people that are listening to this thinking, this sounds great and you've done really well, Fern, really successful, happy places, great TV career and you as well, Jake, you've got your podcast, you've found your thing in sport. Yeah, well done you. Congratulations. Great life. You must be really proud of yourselves. Well, guess what? I don't know what my passion is. I don't even know how to find my passion. The answer, I think, to people that are listening to this thinking, how do we even find it, right? When you had Rex, you literally, the minute he was born... I don't know whether you feel like me, but I felt that the moment that Florence was born, that's actually the first time I experienced genuine, true love. You know, yeah. Every single part of me, every sinew in my body, that's what it's about. And immediately your brain looks back to all the times that you were crap to your own parents and thinking, they loved me that much and I acted like that? Wow. Mm. So that was the moment when I was like, that's what love really feels like, right? Then you find you having another child. And the night before Sebastian was born, I remember saying to Harriet, I'm a bit, I, can I just have a quick, quick chat? Like, I'm worried I'm, I've got no love for him. She mm. said, how do you mean? I said, well, I literally can't love Florence anymore. All the love in my body, and I can't control this. It's all for her. Like, it's for her. How am I going to love my, where, what's, where's his love? So Seb was then born. And I don't know where it came from, right? But the minute I laid eyes on him, the amount of love I have for Florence did not diminish one iota. The amount of love I had for Sebastian was all of my love. He and she have all of my love, right? And I guess if I had five more kids, it would happen. <laughs> it would happen five more times. Now that 
is passion. That is how life has to make you feel. So every day, I'm like you, Fern. I get knackered. I get peed off. The kids wind me up. I have a hard day. No one doesn't have that. But every single day, when I wake up, it's topped up again. I'm ready to go. I think this is going to be an amazing day. I know I'm going to achieve great things. And it's because I've been lucky enough to find my passion. That's what it's about. The cup just fills up every single morning. And of course, I have then good days and bad days. But every morning when I wake up, I am ready for it. Mm. That is when you know you found your passion in your life. I think it's also worth mentioning that we often think that perhaps one moment of success, this is certainly apparent in the sports world, but in any sense, that one moment of success or when we get that right job or we find that passion, that that's the end, that that's Mm. the end goal and then we're going to feel amazing. And I think the, the thing that I've learned over the years is that as soon as I worked out, oh, this might be a new thing that I might mm. enjoy, I feel like now, probably four years into this new world that I'm living in, I'm on the first rung of the ladder. I don't know where I'm headed, but it's so exciting. I don't feel like I've made it or I'm yeah, like this yeah, huge yeah. success. It's just about the excitement. And I think, again, social media tells us do this, wear this, look like this, go on holiday here and you will feel mm. like you've landed somewhere and yeah. you've made it. And that that doesn't exist. And I think, again, that's... I'll even fall short with that one and think, oh my God, you know, would I feel... Won't I feel complete when I just have this done and I've yeah, yeah, had yeah. this amount of people listening to the podcast or whatever it is? No, I know I won't. I'll feel exactly the same as I do now and I'll still be hungry for more and to do more. And I think, you know, that that's that's what, again, links back to that, that passion. Look, three I words it, for you, Fern. Three words on. for you. You never arrive. You never arrive. It doesn't happen. And actually, you can look at that and go, oh, what? That that moment where you feel you've achieved everything and you've you've done it that doesn't that never comes that's depressing it is not it's the absolute opposite of depressing let's say yeah. right for you a million people listening to happy place and presenting top of the pops were the two moments for you what you're done yeah what, exactly you're, you're in your thirties and you're done you're finished it's all over there's those things you wanted to achieve you're never going to get there again what so what's the rest of your life going to be being less of a person because you're no longer doing the things that you always set out to do from the very beginning. By default, people who achieve great things are always looking for the next thing. You never arrive. It never happens. But embrace that feeling. Embrace the fact that there's always a new challenge around the corner. It's a good thing. uh, There's a flip side to this that I'd like to talk about with you as well, which, um, again, relates back to high performance and what we're talking about And that is, I often put, if I'm really honest, nearly all of my self-esteem into what I'm achieving work-wise, what I believe are my my benchmarks of success in the future, whatever. And when I'm ticking them off, I put way too much emphasis on, so now that must mean I'm an okay human being because I want to push aside all the bits of myself that I don't like as much. I call them my gross bits. I want to push aside the fact that I lied on this occasion. I want to push aside here that I gossiped about someone. I want to suppress this thing that I ate at 12 o'clock at night and I wasn't even hungry, but I couldn't stop myself. I want to push all that down here and I want to put all of my work achievements on top of it to go, there you go, see, I'm an okay person. Mm. 
And I forget to find the value and the acceptance in me just sat here after this podcast, my headphones on the table, wearing a grubby pair of jeans with a messy house downstairs that I can't even look at. I forget to find the self-worth in that. So I'd love to know how you feel about yourself outside of success, outside of high performance. And also, I guess, how you found your guests to sit with that. How have they found confidence and happiness outside of all of that success and and passion and stuff? It's really difficult, isn't it, to not let yourself be defined by the success of your career, right? I mean, I remember when I left the BBC Formula One to go and work for BT Sport. I went from, you know, being watched by 11 million people or whatever, watching the Formula One coverage on the BBC because it was like on a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock and the racing was great and Jensen Button was winning the world title, to going to BT Sport where the audiences were a lot lower at the time. And I really struggled with that because it felt like when I was on the BBC, like everything that I touched was a success. Every time I wore a... Uh, Eddie Jordan wore a mad shirt it was trending on Twitter the first time I used an iPad everyone was talking about it and it felt like every VT we created loads of people went I love that what amazing coverage it's brilliant it's brilliant and I was definitely getting external validation from other people telling me that things are great and that is a very very sweet trap to fall into because it feels amazing when it's good I had to learn not to take that good stuff because then when I started to work in football and it wasn't quite such a friendly place and there was a lot of criticism and aggression coming my way on social media for the work that I'm doing and people questioning, does he know anything about football? And yeah, you see it. Yes, it impacts you. Yes, it is a horrible feeling. Horrible. And then that, that then really, really knocked me and I, I was thinking, man, this, what, what have I done? This is a disaster. No one likes me on here because I'm getting all this negativity. Now, what I'd done... I'd get, I got myself into a place where I was validating the good stuff and saying, yeah, you're totally right. I'm great because everyone's telling me I am. Well, if you do that and you listen to that, then you also have to listen to the stuff which is like, you're struggling, you're useless, you're rubbish. So now I've got myself into a place where external validation means absolutely nothing. Yeah, I have a I'm small saying. group of people and mm. I speak to that small group of people and if they tell me that I'm good or bad then then I will believe them. I remember one time I was live on the telly and I was trending on Twitter and I looked at it, I thought, oh, it's never a good thing, right? So I looked at it and it was literally hundreds of people saying Jake Humphrey's crap at his job. Wow. And then I got a text message and it said, um, I've still got it here. We've watched many BT games, but tonight we're watching the Liverpool game and the roundup. You were so, so good. I could sense that you were getting over a cold, but you were brilliant. Lance and I both said you're actually the best football presenter on TV. Very enjoyable. You ask the questions the punters want to hear and you bring out the best in them. That was from Sue Barker. Oh, Sue Barker. So she's walked in our shoes. She's sat in the studio. She's hosted the biggest Olympic Games Sports Personality of the Year, Wimbledon. She's been there and done it. And at that moment, I looked at it and I thought, those hundreds and hundreds of messages telling me I'm useless... Nah, carry no validation that one message from one person does because that person's been there that person's done it that person knows what I'm going through knows the challenges knows how hard it is and I think that is the key is to make sure that you surround yourself with people 
that you really, really can trust and will tell you the good and will tell you the bad and tell you actually, I think your house actually needs cleaning now because it's getting to the point where it's a bit bad. Those people, great. And you can't do it on your own because naturally, I think as human beings, we always go back to the bad stuff. I don't know about you, but if I have 10 good things happen and one bad thing, it's the one bad thing. So it's really important to surround yourself with the right kind of people. And I call them fountains or drains. And if you're not a if you're a drain not a fountain we are done and I think that's something that's only come to me maybe in the last few years Fern um I'd be interested to know your take on this but for a long time whether an a job or a person or an environment or a thing that I was involved in made me not feel great I kind of looked at it I thought well it's my job to deal with that and to work it out now I will obviously try my very best but if it's not for me or they're not for me it is self-care to say do you know what this isn't for me I can't be doing this I can't be in this place and I think it takes a long time to be brave enough and strong enough to do that and I'm 42 and I only now feel like I'm at the point where I can where I can make those kinds of calls and man it's so healthy I think I'm starting to do the same and I think again because I've spent a lot of time recently really thinking about teenagers I think it's such an important lesson to learn as early as we can that we don't have to try and impress the people that we think don't like us. We don't have to try and get them on board, defend ourselves, explain ourselves. And I think linking it back to, again, something we've talked about earlier, that's perhaps where I'm now finding my self-worth outside of work is to go, yeah, I I can handle this. I'm all right. I know that Mm. my side of the street is clean. Like I heard you talking to Matthew McConaughey and I love the fact that he said, don't leave any crumbs. Brilliant. Like very, very cool way of putting that. You know, I know that I try my best and that, you know, I'm, I love the people in my life that I love and I'll do whatever I can for them. And that I think also links to high performance, you know, I want to have relationships that function well. I want to have relationships that bring me joy. I want to feel happiness doing the very, very simple things like popping to a neighbor's house for a cup of tea. Set your standards firm. You deserve those things. You deserve things in your life that make you happy. Mm, It's mm. really important. And I think sometimes I've definitely been guilty of this in the past. I... I remember when we did our first ever Formula One show, right? And we had a meeting afterwards. And you know what it's like in telly? It's all very friendly television. It's like, you were great. You were great. This was great. That was great. Only when you're with them, not when you're not with them. Yeah, you're right. Only when you're with them. And we had one of those meetings after my first ever Formula One program, right? The producer was like, this was great. And David Coulthard, who was our pundit, put his arm in there and said, sorry, can I just butt in for a sec? And the producer said, yep, yep. Who do you want to praise? What do you want to say? And he said, um... What's the point of this meeting? And the producer, Mark, said, well, we're just going through the programme and we're just discussing the show we did yesterday. And David said, I never want to have another meeting like this because there is no point sitting here and telling us all how great we were. I want to have a meeting about how bad we were and the bad things and the awful stuff because that is where we can improve. And for years, that was my mindset. I was like, right, what was bad? What was bad? What was bad? What was bad? And... And I've actually come around to a new way of thinking, and this was reinforced actually in the conversation with Matthew McConaughey, where I've felt for too long that I have focused too much on being obsessed with my own failures and other people's failures because I've thought that's where the learning is. Why, and Matthew really brought this home to me, why did I not think 
that there was loads of learning from the good stuff. Of course. And he said, he, what he, one of the reasons why he wrote his diary, he said, then when things are bad, he thinks, right, when were things good? I know when things were good. When I was 21 years old and I felt great and I was barreling around and I was winning work and I was, had great relationships and I was making people happy and I felt I was flying. Then he goes to his diary and he goes to that point and he goes, right, who was I with? What decisions was I making? What time was I getting up in the morning? What was I drinking? What was my mindset? That was such an eye-opener to me. I was like, oh my goodness, I've spent like 20 years genuinely focused on failure. That was where I thought all of my growth and all of my learning and all of my improvement was. Absolutely wrong. And I've now started to think, right, when, when was I last genuinely really happy? Oh, last Wednesday, I felt really bloody good. Right, who was I with? That person. Do you know what? I'm seeing that person every week because they make me feel good. That's just the way it is. And that person that I think I'm really great with, actually, how do I really feel about hanging out with them? Not that great. Mm. So it's over. I think that I've only very recently started to see that way of thinking and... And I'm just starting to believe that that I deserve to to, to look more at the positives because I have been very hard on myself, probably because you and I have both had a much more extreme experience of lots of outside people we don't know saying, you're a piece of shit, you're this, you're that. And you start to actually oversee your flaws rather than see a balanced version of who you are, good, bad, ugly, etc. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm doing the same in a simple way, looking at my actual everyday life, going, yeah, like you, you know, why was I happy last week? Oh, yeah, because I had a good night's sleep. Me and my kids did some art together, blah, blah, blah. And it is a lovely way of, of just marking those moments and trying to get back on track to, to that mindset and to know that you deserve it. I think so yeah. many out there, like I have for so many you know, so many years thought I didn't deserve to just feel okay or happy, and I'm, I'm Listen, definitely right, coming do out something of that for me. One now. You have you have to without delay tell me the first thing that comes into your head. Okay? Oh God! Right? You are brilliant at everything you do. And now I have to say something. Yeah. Well, what's, yeah. Like the what first was the first thing, thing that came in your head? Like an overwhelming embarrassment, <laughs> almost. <laughs> Do you believe it though? Be honest. You no. Go on. Do you believe? I believe it? that I'm good at at the stuff that no, I'm doing no, at no, work no, no, now. No, 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 no. Listen to the question. Listen to the question again. Listen to the question again and answer it honestly. You are brilliant at everything you do. No, I don't believe that's true. Right. Actually, well, it is. It I absolutely don't. is. Because not I will look at things that go, oh, I didn't deal with Rex well last night, or I shouted oh, right. oh, yeah, at him yeah, yeah. or whatever. Okay, cool. you know so what you're, looking, you're looking for perfection. No worries. All right. We'll leave that there then. Well, there Listen, we go. But this is it. This are is... doing your best. Yeah, you're yeah, doing yeah. yeah, your yeah. Best. When do you ever approach a day, approach an incident, approach a moment, approach a problem and think, ah, oh, I'm not going to off, I'm not going to give this my, I'm just going to, I'm going to be useless at this. You never do. You just, yeah. we're all me, you, the people listening to this, Matt, who's producing it, we are all just doing our best. Doing our best. And we yeah. have to be a bit nicer to each other. It's really, really important. There is no benefit, and I promise you, zero, zero benefit to having a mindset where you think, I'm not very good at this, or great things are not going to happen. Okay, you might not be very good. Okay, great things might not happen. But do you know what? Give yourself the best possible chance of great things happening. Give yourself the best possible chance of being good at something by just believing it. 
just mm. believing it. And when you bring all this stuff back together that we've talked about on this podcast, believing that you're going to be good, finding your passion. Finding your passion means that you do it again and again, and you always have the energy to do it. So you believe you're going to be good. You find something you're passionate about. You then find the energy is always there to do it. And you take total and utter responsibility for it. You don't blame anyone else. You don't look for outside factors. Suddenly you find that you're living in this world where your chest just rises up, Fern. And you're just like, I'm going to have my chin high. And I'm going to walk headlong through all of this stuff because I'm passionate about it. I've got the energy to do it. And I believe it's going to be great. You Mm. try and derail me now. You just fucking try and derail me. You can't. Excellent. You can't. Yeah. So, it's, it's and, it's, a, and it's not real, Fern. That's the great thing about it. Yeah. You don't have to go and get this from somewhere. It's in your head. You mm. just must believe it. Yeah, it's just you changing just the narrative, isn't it? it? It's changing the narrative and, and having that, that, that self-kindness. And Who do you talk to more than anyone else in your day? Like who's, the, who's the one person you speak to the most, do you think? Well, probably my husband, I'd say. Uh, no, maybe too no. much, he would say. No. Or myself. Yeah, there you go. That is the answer to it. That is the yeah. one that so many people get wrong. You talk yeah. to yourself and all you day. do it all day, every day. So if you're not saying good stuff to yourself, Fern, then that doesn't benefit anyone. And 90% right. of the conversations that you have with yourself, you're having quietly in your own head to yourself. No one else is listening to them. Just be nice to yourself. It's so true. Jakey, mm. there's so many wonderful takeaways from this conversation. And... The one that will always stick with me still is from your dad, Roots and Wings. I love yeah. that. For whatever age you are, I think it's such a beautiful way of thinking about life. I love what you're doing. I love that you're following your gut and you're you're just, like you say, you're walking with your head held high, making shit happen on mm. your terms, regardless of what anyone thinks. And I'm so glad that we got to do this. And I've loved it. And, and that look, you're in a happy place. Thank you, um, Jakey. I know that what I'm going to get from this, without doubt, is some hardcore football fans right sending me sending me more memes of Ricky Gervais because I've shared some sort of weird life wisdom thoughts in my own head (laughs) but the thing is like everything I've said to you I absolutely believe absolutely but and and that has been the the greatest part of the last few years for me is just rather than just floating through like old Jake used to do yeah you're doing it your way that I genuinely believe in and it's not for everyone and it but let's just let everyone speak their truth hey yes (laughs) oh roots and wings i bet that will stay with you now as much as it has for me over the years isn't it beautiful thank you jakey i love you jake what a bloody lovely guy you are and just so generous with that kind heart of yours thanks jake Next week's episode is absolutely jam-packed with little practical ways you can protect your mental and physical health. So make sure you're subscribed to Happy Place so that it drops straight into your phone when it's available. Thanks again to Jake. Thanks, Jake. To the producers of this episode, Matt Hill and Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio. And a huge thank you to you for listening. Honestly, thanks, guys. I love you lot. I'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.